turn to the same place you were in the Gospel of Luke and just back a few pages to Luke chapter 2 in God's Word. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 22. We've been looking over these weeks leading up to Christmas and in the Advent season at uh, Jesus's self-designation as the Son of Man, a term he used of himself most often to refer to uh, who he was and what he had come to do, and which looked back to that figure, that human yet divine figure shown to Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in God's vision to him, one who would come and stand before the throne of God and receive the kingdom and, and be seated with God, ruling and reigning over all the nations. And Jesus takes that designation upon himself as the one whom God has sent, the Messiah. And we've been looking at, at what Jesus himself said he came to do as the Son of Man. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that he, he came as the Son of Man to save his people. Uh, certainly the message that was given uh, by the angels as, as Jesus was born uh, that, that morning or that evening uh, many years ago. And he came to save by serving. Serving, uh, coming to, to not be served but to be a servant. And he did that by suffering uh, the, the pains of this life and, and offering himself, his own life up as a sacrificial atonement for our sin. And Pastor Kyle uh, spoke of that last week so well and about how we as God's people enter into that uh, uh, humble estate and enter into that suffering. And today we're going to look a little bit more at that, but I want to I ask you the question when you hear that the Son of Man came to suffer, how does that make you feel? What is your reaction when you hear that? Especially on Christmas when we come to celebrate joy and peace and all those things. And, and, and you hear that the, this baby who was born comes to suffer. To suffer for you. Does that, does that do something in you that, that uh, yields a, a, an appreciation, a thanksgiving, a, a recognition that uh, what it took for God to save us cost him his very life or does it kind of make you bristle a little bit think I don't need that <laughs> I'm doing all right by myself how we respond to the son of man coming and and what he came for makes a difference and that's what we see in here in Luke chapter 2 as as Mary and Joseph go to the temple and and they hear from a man who meets them there, a man named Simeon, who gives them a prophecy that struck them, I'm sure, differently from what they had heard previous. So let's look to God's word in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's holy word. Father, again, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, wills to obey what you have for us this morning. Father, would you take my words and the meditations of our heart and make them pleasing in your sight and profitable to us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The natural instinct of people to, when they see a young newborn baby, is, is usually to go up and, and see the child and maybe say a kind and encouraging word about this baby to the new mom and parents. We see that happening a lot. And usually the comments revolve around how sweet they are or how uh, cute they look or, or, what they look or who they look like. But occasionally someone will venture a, a prediction and say something like, oh, she's definitely going to be an athlete, or you're going to have your hands full with that one. <laughs> Such comments, especially when they come from strangers, usually bring an appreciative smile from the parents, but probably aren't given much thought beyond that moment. Well, it wasn't so for Jesus' parents, and particularly for his mother Mary. Even before Jesus was ever born, Mary and Joseph had received news about the special nature, the future mission of their son. He would be the son of the Most High God. He would be the savior of his people. He would be the promised king to rule on David's throne forever. But Mary had barely gotten Jesus settled in the manger when, when a group of shepherds show up to pay honor to this child. And Mary, we're told, is taking all this in. She's pondering all these amazing things in her heart that God is revealing to her about her child. And not long after his birth, Mary and Joseph are, are taking Jesus up to the temple to fulfill the, the purification rites and to consecrate him as the firstborn unto the Lord according to God's law. And they are met there by a man named Simeon, an elderly saint who has been eagerly awaiting the coming Messiah and to whom the Holy Spirit had revealed that he would, he would see the Messiah in his lifetime. And having been led by the Spirit to the temple, at the same time as Mary and Joseph, Simeon recognizes this child and takes the baby Jesus in his arms and he gives praise to God, saying, 
Now I am prepared to die, prepared to go to the Lord, for I have seen his salvation as was promised in his word. And again, Luke tells us Mary and Joseph are, are marveling at these words. The wonder and the impact of the things being revealed to them by total strangers about their son continues to amaze them. But then Simeon says something. He utters more words, prophetic words, and they're particularly directed to Jesus' mother, to Mary. Words that probably did not generate amazement or parental pride, but rather must have left her troubled in heart a bit for the years ahead. Like news from a doctor that, that your baby will face serious Uh, difficulties or struggles in life due to some condition or illness suddenly the parents joy is jolted by pain perhaps fear maybe feeling the burden for what your child will go through only what Mary hears is not a, a medical diagnosis that her son has an illness but the prophetic promise that her son will have enemies that he will cause Division. What Simeon says in a nutshell as he holds Mary's baby in his arms, he says, This Jesus, this one who is the promised salvation of God appearing right before our eyes, this one who will reveal the light of God's glory to all people, he is also destined to be a lightning rod that will be the cause of, of friction and division among people, one who will face opposition and suffering at the hands of others, such, Simeon says, that it will bring great pain even to the very heart of his mother Mary. In essence, what Simeon says here about Jesus is he will be the great divider, the great divider. He's going to be a line drawn in the sand of people's lives. It will be impossible to be neutral about him. He is appointed by God, Simeon says, to either cause stumbling or standing, to elicit either worship or ridicule, to unveil the truth of what we believe down to the, to the very depths of our hearts. What Simeon's telling Jesus' mother is there will be no fence-sitting with regard to your child. People will either receive him for who he is, God's salvation and the light of the world, or they will oppose him and remain in sin and darkness. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, that no one can leave here today neutral about the baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Now, that should not come as a surprise to us since it is what bears out in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to save his people from sin, to bring light to those who are in darkness, to bring rest to those who struggle, peace to those in conflict. That's the good news of great joy that is for all peoples that marked his birth. But when Jesus himself speaks about how this will come about, In his ministry, we find that his coming marked not an an immediate doing away with the darkness or an immediate end to the struggle or the conflict, but a point now in divine history where man clearly finds himself on one side or the other. Jesus said in John 3, 17, 
He said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yes, that's the truth that we celebrate at Christmas. But read on in the next verse. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is the great divider. People either believe or come into the, the, the light and are saved or they remain in the darkness of sin and are condemned. Over in John chapter 12, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus is the great divider. People will either accept and believe his word and be saved, or they will reject his word and be judged. Why is this? Well, to tell people that Jesus brings peace and justice and hope and love and joy, it's a message that people are certainly willing to hear, especially at this time of Christmas when, when we celebrate and remember those things. But to tell people that Jesus is the only one who will bring peace and justice and hope and love and joy is a message that many don't want to hear. And many will not tolerate. You see, it's the exclusivity of Jesus as God's only Son, as the way, the truth, and the life, as the one and only Savior for sinners and entrance into eternal life that is the offense to the ears and the hearts of many. But that's the gospel that Jesus gives us to preach. And it's the gospel that we as sinners need to hear it's the gospel that Simeon says will bring people to a crossroads where neutrality is not an option. Simeon, we're told, was a righteous and devout man who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's another way of saying he knew and trusted God's promises in the scripture. He was looking for the fulfillment of those promises in the coming Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, whom the Holy Spirit had, had revealed to Simeon that he would indeed see with his eyes. And so here in his words to Mary, Simeon is likely remembering the, the words of the prophet Isaiah where, where God is referred to as a, a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling on which some will fall and be broken. As well as the fact that he is a foundation stone, a precious cornerstone on which God's people will stand and rise by the revelation of God's spirit. Simeon understands that this child whom he holds in his arms, he is that stone. He is the rock. And the people, when confronted with who he is and what he has come to do, will either stumble over him or they will stand fast upon him. Now, how is it that we either stumble or stand upon Christ? Well, Paul gives us an idea about this over in Romans chapter 9 where he's addressing the whole, the whole issue of of Israel as well as the Gentiles being brought in 
as the people of God. And he's addressing the issue of Israel being, being cut off by their rejection of Christ's work. While those who are outside the covenant, the Gentiles, are brought in by their faith in Christ's work. He says, how is it that the Gentiles who were not pursuing righteousness attain the... Uh, not pursuing righteousness, attain to fail to attain it. Excuse me, got mixed up here. It's a confusing chapter already. So. <laughs> Paul says, "How is it that the Gentiles who are not pursuing righteousness attained it by faith, but Israel, who is pursuing righteousness through obedience to the law, failed to attain it by that law?" And then he answers the question. He says, "Israel did not pursue it by faith." But as if it were based on works. And then he quotes again Isaiah 28. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And he goes on to, ex- to quote more in Isaiah. Paul's been explaining how all have sinned, Jew and Gentile, and are separated from God. And how God and his son Jesus paid the penalty and bore the wrath as a sacrifice of atonement for that sin. And God provides us his righteousness Through him. And the problem is to receive that righteousness righteousness means to admit that you cannot do anything to earn that righteousness yourself. And for the Jew, for the people of God, it was to admit that, that all their good works, all their own sacrifices, all their own obedience to the law would not ultimately suffice. They needed a righteousness that was given to them. Not earned by them. And the problem was that it was only by the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah that they could receive salvation in God's righteousness. And that was not the kind of Messiah or the kind of righteousness that they were pursuing. They were seeking a righteousness that comes by obedience to the law that they could never achieve. And thus they stumbled over the rock on which they should have stood by faith. As long as you're willing to accept and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only way to peace with God, to righteousness before God, to hope and eternal life with God, if you're not willing to accept that and believe that, then stumbling is a foregone conclusion. But if you do, standing on the foundation of Christ, then God's promises are true for you. And that's the gist of Jesus' question to his disciples in Luke chapter 9. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asked them. And Peter replies, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. In other words, people think you're one of the many great prophets of God. Sent from him, a respected teacher, a great religious figure. But is that all he is? And Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one whom God has promised and who has come to save. That's the dividing line. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a great man of God? Is he just one of many great teachers or religious figures? Or is he God become man? Sent to give his life as a ransom, to redeem his people 
from their sin. Immediately after Peter's confession, Jesus points to the reality that Simeon had already prophesied over him as a child. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on that third day be raised up. Simeon had told Mary that her son would be a sign that is opposed. Throughout history, God had given his people signs that pointed to him and to what he would do for them. And and more importantly, importantly, pointed to Jesus, to the coming Messiah as the ultimate sign or revelation of God. And so Jesus was often referred to in terms of, of these Old Testament signs that pointed to him. He was the sacrificial lamb of God who signified the shedding of blood necessary for the forgiveness of sins and deliverance from death. He would be lifted up on the cross like the bronze snake which God had given to Moses in the desert to be lifted up and when looked upon would save the people from the plague of death. Jesus would fulfill the sign of Jonah staying for three days in the tomb before being raised from the dead. Jesus' whole life was a, was a sign pointing to the reality that God had come down to deliver his people. And indeed, as we've seen, he used that term, son of man, for himself. A sign pointing to his, his coming as the one seen by the prophet Daniel in his vision. Who would be given God's kingdom and rule and reign over all the nations for eternity. The religious leaders, Jesus' very own people, the very ones who should have recognized and rejoiced at those signs, rejected and opposed it. They reviled him because he came and ate and associated with sinners. Surely God's Messiah would not do such a thing. They constantly mocked and ridiculed and spoke against him, even as he spoke words and did great wonders with a power and authority that clearly signified he was indeed the Son of God and the Son of Man. Indeed, they cried blasphemy and carried out their plans to have him killed. And friends, Jesus is still a sign today that is opposed and spoken against by many. He and his people continue to be a source of contention, an object of ridicule, and a recipient of the world's hatred and persecution. That's what Simeon was telling Mary. And Simeon says the very response which the world will have to this child is telling. It reveals, he will reveal the thoughts of the heart. He will reveal what is truly down at the center of our being. And really the thoughts of our hearts can be boiled down to two. Either we, we recognize and admit that we are sinners, that even our best works, even our best efforts to atone for that sin are futile. And only because of the precious gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Christ of God, who suffered, died in our place, and rose again to new life, are we able to truly stand in peace and joy and forgiveness and acceptance and eternal life before God. Or we refuse to believe and receive God's word and his gift of grace and rather trust in our own ability, trust in our, uh, the empty idols and false gods of this world to try and find those things. How we see and respond to Jesus will reveal which of those thoughts drives our hearts and thus our lives. 
And Jesus says that response is also reflected in how we live our lives with and for Jesus. The thoughts of our hearts are revealed in the actions of our lives. And Jesus says to, to follow him, to, to, to acknowledge in it, who he is and what he has done, is to enter into a life with him, a life of suffering. To live a life of self-denial, he said, of being willing to, to daily take up our cross and suffer opposition and sacrifice for his sake. To pour oneself out in love and in service and generosity and compassion. To stand up for what is true and right and good. To be willing to be identified with him, not ashamed of him. And to live in a manner that upholds and glorifies his name. And to stand up for and live according to his truth. Jesus says, that reveals what's in your heart. And it's when we know him in the fellowship of his suffering that we will stand and rise with him in the glory of his resurrection power and we'll see his salvation and his kingdom come. When Simeon saw Jesus in Mary's arms, he knew what lay ahead. And he wanted Mary to know as well. It would not be easy for her. The mother of this child, you can imagine the anguish she must have felt as her son grew and she would hear the rumors and derogatory comments from people about him. You can probably sense the worry and the anxiety and maybe even the anger that she, she had laying down at light, night, not knowing where he was or hearing how he was being treated by the religious leaders, even as he was caring for the most needy among the people. And how deep was her sorrow as she stood at the foot of the cross, watching her firstborn son suffer unimaginable anguish and pain. A sorrow that would pierce her own soul like a sword. But it's through that sorrow, it's through that pain, through that incredible weight of, of bearing punishment for sin that was laid upon this child in Simeon's arms some three decades later that the peace and the joy and the consolation and the salvation of God's people that he and others were waiting for would be obtained for those who believe. It was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah, he would see the Lord's Christ before he would die and he rejoiced to see the Lord's salvation which had been prepared long beforehand in the coming of Jesus and it was revealed to Peter by the Holy Spirit that this same Jesus is the Christ of God who would suffer and die and rise again that those who follow him in faith would see the kingdom of God. And it's on that truth, it's on that rock of Jesus Christ that you will either stand in grace and freedom and forgiveness and life or you will stumble and fall in judgment and be crushed under the weight of your own sin. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to suffer that judgment on the cross for you and for me. He was born that he might suffer and die and rise again, that we might be brought to God. He was pierced by the sword of God's wrath for our sin, that we might know the healing and the hope and the peace that come from being forgiven and set free. In Luke chapter 12, 
Jesus is speaking in the context of, of knowing that he will suffer the fiery wrath of, God's, of, of God for sin. And Jesus speaks these words that seem at first so contrary to the message of Christmas. He says, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? And our reply would be, yes. <laughs> That's what the angel said. But he says, no, I tell you, rather division. He goes on to say, even division within families. Now, Jesus here is not denying that he came to bring peace, but that that peace would not be received by all. He is simply saying what Simeon revealed to Mary. His coming means that every single person stands at a crossroads. Everyone has to answer the question that Jesus asked the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Will you receive him as the son of God, the son of man who came to save and serve sinners by suffering in your place and laying down his life that you might live with God eternally? Or will you be ashamed of him? Will you Reject him. Live your life as if you do not need him. Will you stand on the rock of Jesus and his word, even if it costs you the world, your possessions, your family, your very life? Or will you stumble over him and suffer the painful judgment of sin and death on your own? Jesus was born to suffer and die that we might, he might bring us peace with God. And he's that line in the sand between true life and peace and that which is no life or peace. On which side will you stand? Jesus calls you to come. He calls you to follow him. He calls you to trust in him, to bank your life on him as the son of God born in Bethlehem. Our eyes, brothers and sisters, have seen the salvation of God. And it is Jesus Christ. When you receive him, when you believe that he is indeed the light of God's glory for all men, and that through his suffering you are saved, through his death you have life, then like Simeon, you can say, Lord, I'm ready to depart in peace. For my eyes have seen and received your salvation. May it be so for every one of us here today. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for humbling yourself and emptying yourself and taking on the nature of a servant and coming to this earth to, to suffer the, the pain and the struggles and the trials and the opposition that so many of us feel and, and uh, exert in our lives because of sin. And you did it that you might save us, that you might bring us to God that you might free us. That you might call us to yourself and to walk with you in 
suffering and in pain and in service and in love and that you might come and redeem us fully and welcome us into your kingdom when you come again. Father, we rejoice at that. Truly, your son's coming is, is peace on earth for those on whom your favor rests. May your favor rest upon every single person here today, young and old, male and female, from whatever background, place we come, Father, would you pour out your grace that we might not stumble, but we might stand firm on your Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. And Father, would that be reflected, not just in what we profess with our lips, but how we live in our lives. Grant us grace, O God, to deny ourselves to embrace the difficulties, the hardships, the trials of this world and particularly those that come as a result of knowing and following and, and confessing you. And when we do it knowing that, Lord Jesus, we will stand with you in glory. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.